You're listening to the Recovery Brand Podcast, the podcast that explores a range of mental health issues and their impacts, steps towards mental health recovery and how we can continue to increase our quality of life. Before we begin, just a short disclaimer, any opinions on this podcast are based on my own or my guests' personal experiences. The content discussed is for informational purposes only and should not be considered as medical advice. My name is Lachlan. I was diagnosed with bipolar type 1 in 2002. I've had three major episodes involving mania and depression. These happened in three different states, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. The last one happened in 2007, 13 years ago. The aim of this podcast is to explore with guests a range of mental health issues from different perspectives and how recovery can be managed to live a fulfilling life. The first podcast is going to be a little bit different. My wife Bex is going to interview me. Hi guys. The topic today will be on bipolar. Now we've been married eight years. About eight and a half. (laughs) Eight and a half. We met after my last episode so Bex missed out on uh, the worst of it. Yes I did miss out on that experience. So I've done a bit of my own research into bipolar and mental health. And here's what I found. Bipolar disorder is a serious lifelong mental health condition which features pronounced mood swings. The condition was formerly known as manic depression uh, with the Australian Bureau of Statistics reporting that the condition affects 2.9% of Australians aged 16 or over. Or you could say uh, 568,000 people. Another interesting mental health statistic is that 54% of people with mental illnesses do not actually access any treatment. This is worsened by delayed treatment due to serious problems in detection and accurate diagnosis. And the proportion of people with mental health issues accessing treatment is half the amount of people with physical disorders. So that's Mm. quite an interesting fact. Yeah. So that's what I found out when I was looking at mental health issues um, and bipolar in particular, but it would be great if you could tell us um, a little bit about your condition and what it means to you. Yep. So uh, my condition is bipolar type 1. So bipolar type 1 is when you have extreme... Uh, when you when you become unwell, you can have extreme mood swings of um, the peak being mania and the lows being uh, clinical depression, um, suicidal depression. So there are actually three types of bipolar. I found out that um, just recently, actually, that in America, um, there's even four types of bipolar hmm. now. So... Um, says, according to the one statistic that I got, according to the American Psychiatric Association, there are four major categories of bipolar disorder. Bipolar 1 disorder, bipolar 2 disorder, cyclothemic disorder, which is bipolar 3, and bipolar disorder due to another medical or substance abuse disorder. So um, with bipolar uh, type 1, bipolar type 1 consists of um, mania, it consists of hypermania 
and when you're in the hypermanic stage, that's the stage when you're very creative. Um, you basically um, feel on top of the world, um, but it kind of gets too much. It gets gets out of out of hand, and that's when uh, the mania comes in. And if you leave mania untreated, that it can. What happened to me is that I ended up in in psych wards. Um, so have you got any stories to give us of sort of what happened with your mania? Um, oh, well, I mean, when I was at the peak of bipolar, uh, when I was going through, yeah, a, a big manic episode in 2006, um, I basically started seeing things that weren't there. Mm. Um, I was seeing footprints in the sand that I was walking next to that weren't actually there. Um, and yeah. That would have been a bit unnerving. Well, I was on top of the world, so, um, I didn't care <laughs> at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so bipolar type one is, yeah, extreme highs and extreme lows. Bipolar type two, um, from my understanding is... Um, it can be extreme lows, but only hypermania, so it doesn't actually hit the full-blown mania phase. Um, that's the difference between type 1 and type 2. And cyclothemic disorder, bipolar type 3, is actually quite similar to bipolar 2, and it's very hard to for psychiatrists um, and mental health professionals to... Uh, diagnose and dis what distinguish between the two. Distinguish between the two, yeah, absolutely. They, they're quite similar. So maybe that's why I've only actually heard of the two types. Yeah. And you said there was a fourth type. Yeah. So I I just found out that the other day that it's bipolar disorder due to another medical or substance abuse disorder. Um, I don't know enough about that, but that that maybe um something to do with I guess when, when during during my second episode I ended up in Ride Hospital in Sydney and um, a guy who came in the same day as me we became good mates in hospital and he came in with a drug-induced psychosis and, okay. and I thought he had bipolar because he presented all the symptoms but it was actually a drug-induced psychosis and he didn't get um, diagnosed and in Melbourne now in in Victoria that's what they do they don't diagnose you on your first okay um, if it's a drug induced psychosis especially yeah they they basically um, are quite I think I think quite reluctant to diagnose mm. um, I suppose once you've yeah, got that so it, label it's hard to sort of get rid of it and so I suppose if it's yeah just one off yeah, episode, yeah. like your friend. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that bipolar t type 4, um, you know, that may even be just be an American thing, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it could be something similar to, like, a drug-induced psychosis. I'm just putting that out there. So I suppose all of these sort of traits that you've talked about or sort of, like, experiences that you've had with your bipolar, like, how would you say that they, like, the diagnosis has impacted your life? Um, oh, gee... The diagnosis has impacted my life significantly would be um, an understatement. Um, 
I think th there's a lot of a stigma that can be attached to the diagnosis um, with any mental illness, with any um, mental health issues. I think it's getting it's better. I think it, the stigma is gradually being reduced over time. Um, but yeah, look, my every my day to day, I have to get I have to get like six to eight hours sleep a night. Otherwise, if I start losing sleep for three to four nights in a row, I start getting racing thoughts um, and I'll have to take extra medication to basically just knock me out and get me to sleep because um, what happens with me is in my brain is that I don't eventually get tired the more sleep I lose. It actually goes into reverse, so I actually my thoughts start racing even more. And that's that's quite characteristic of, of bipolar and mania as well. Um, so is that, would you say that would be a trigger? Like if, you, if that was to happen, you'd think, oh, I'm becoming yeah. unwell or? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think for me to become unwell, it would probably be, have to be, you know, over like, over a week period or a two-week period of really bad, really bad sleep in kind of a temporary insomnia. Um, and yeah, and that, that's when my waking state starts turning into my dream state. <laughs> and so it's, um, you can't decipher, in the peak of mania, it's very hard to decipher between the two because you've lost that much sleep, basically. Are there any other sort of um, warning signs or? Um, I think like irritability, um, anxiety, um, I think extreme moods and outbursts um, and yeah, I think there's, I mean they're probably, I, I, I haven't been unwell for quite some time so I'm just trying to think back to when I was unwell and what were the main, um, some of the main things, but definitely like pushing loved ones away, um, and getting really angry at loved ones. Um, yeah, I remember one time and I'm still ashamed of it, about, um, screaming at my sister when I was unwell, um, in 2006. And, um, I, I always had this rule that I would never, no matter how, on my emotions got I would never ever lay a finger on anyone and so when I would talk to people and I had felt like I had a thousand volts running through my body um, I'd have my hands behind my back mm. and and I would that was one rule that I always kept and um, because my emotions were so extreme but yeah. my voice at the time my voice was a weapon and I really used my voice and it really hurt a lot of people. I really pushed a lot of people away, pushed a lot of friends away. Um, it, fortunately, my family stood with me. Um, and yeah, but there was one time when I absolutely blasted my sister and she just stood there and took it all. And it was just, it was quite amazing her, the way she, she did that. But she must um, have been aware that you were unwell. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, to have an understanding family is a yeah very positive thing. Yeah, but I definitely I think when I was unwell, I definitely tried my hardest to push them all the way, mm. and they they stuck with me. So I'm uh, very, very lucky. Yeah, very blessed, very grateful.
So that sort of brings me on to sort of, obviously your family didn't have any stigma about mental health because they loved you and they cared for you and wanted the best for you and were, you know, happy to support you through everything. Mm. But do you think that um, that there is still a lot of stigma around mental health? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Like, I think I think there is, definitely. Um, I think the rise of social media and honesty opinions um, has played a key part in breaking down the stigma um, with mental health issues. And, yeah, definitely. Um, depression has been on the right. Depression and anxiety has been, you know, one of the two of the fastest growing um, conditions. Um, so a lot of people talking about them a lot more. Um, I think it's once you start a conversation and you realise that you're, you know, maybe not the only person that's easy to talk about it. So maybe yeah. the rise in social media, you know, obviously has been a positive thing where people are able to sort of voice their opinions. Yeah. Or yeah. their sort of... Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, I my first episode was in 2002, and since then, yeah, like, it's amazing how, how far we've come in, in terms of reducing the stigma. But there's always... Um, a long way to go. Um, with stigma, though, I think stigma is an interesting one because I don't know if stigma will actually ever fully go. Um, when I say that, I mean, like, mental illness will always stay complex and mysterious to many, and the only way stigma will reduce is as if people are curious about what it is. Yeah, that's um, a good point. So the curiosity will hopefully lead to learning, and this will hopefully break down barriers. But it's probably also a fear of not knowing sort of how mm. to handle it, uh, hand, handle a situation. Um, they don't know quite what the person's going to do or, you know, yeah. it could be sort of quite confronting to yeah. people if they've never seen it before. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I hope stigma can make people curious. I hope people can make people curious about mental health and to learn more about mental health. Um, I don't necessarily see, I don't know, stigma's a, I see stigma a bit like a double-edged sword. I think it, it can be a really, really bad thing for mm. society. Um, but yeah, I think if it can, I guess if, if people can remain curious and can remain open to learning about mental illness and I, th I think people are in a sense that they are um they're looking at the the, the wellness apps or they're doing mindfulness it's sort of yeah. becoming a part of everyday life like um yeah so I mean that's a positive thing is there anything that Definitely. you do that you put in place to manage your mental health um yeah absolutely like I've been putting in building blocks and stepping stepping stones for um since 2007 really um and that's kind of yeah brought me to this point of, of starting the recovery brand um but i one massive thing in my um uh that that played a great part in my recovery was mindfulness slash meditation um in many different forms that can i think people with mindfulness um, and meditation, they um, should find their own style. Mm. Um, they can do meditation to affirmations. They can do meditation to 
just wanting to observe their thoughts. Um, they can do meditation in nature. Um, but being mindful, I mean, there's, the research is endless now about the benefits of mindfulness. Um, the other one is exercise as well. I, um, actually, I'm, it's, it's been a lot harder to do exercise now with COVID. And, um, I agree. Adding all, all, all I want to do is you know, ice kilos. cream. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, exercise is a, is a great one. Um, there's stuff on the blog too that I've um, I've put up um, in identifying your toolkit. Um, assertiveness was has been a big one as well, um, and learning how to effectively communicate with people, active listening to people, um, and also to yeah mindfulness. I guess is is um, I guess highlighted this as well, observe when I may be coming a little too extreme. Um, and I think I've got a good, I think I've got a good grasp on that these days. Yeah. And, you, and I'll pull you, you into can, line if you yeah, don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You'll, you'll pull me in the line if I am. But yeah, those are, those are a few things. So what, um, talking about, you know, the, your toolkit and your blog and obviously you've started this recovery brand, like what would you say recovery looks like to you? Um, well, recovery, there are so many different versions of um, what recovery means and definitions of recovery. And one good one I found, um, but it's quite long, from the, was from a government, the, the government health website, the government health website, and that was... Um, from the perspective of the individual with mental illness, recovery means gaining and retaining hope, understanding of one's abilities and disabilities, engagement in an active life, personal autonomy, social identity, meaning and purpose in life, and a positive sense of self. Now, I think that's huge. Like, that, there's so many things in there that yeah. could be unpacked. Um... My version of recovery is really simplistic. It just means recovery equals functionality. And everyone has their own version of recovery, but they have to find what, um, like how much functionality it is to them. Uh, it, it, recovery can't be told by another person. It can't be defined by another person what someone else's recovery is. It's up to the person. That's why I just simply leave it as, as functionality because it's the only thing I see which can actually help me. I, I put functionality to myself and I go, well, it's something I can grow on. It's something I can, I can always... Set goals. Be, yeah, I can always set goals. I can always be... Um, higher functioning, I can um, always be at a better place. I can always be moving forward, basically. Yeah. Um, whilst also living in the present, obviously. But, um, yeah, so so it's very simplistic, but... I think that's that, a good one. That works for me. Because then you don't have... You're not setting a precedent of sort of what people have to aim for, and it yeah. can be sort of... exactly. When you're spot on, like, I... I've worked in the field of mental health for a few years and um, I worked in, in mental health as a peer support worker 10 years ago and the 
the recovery was just thrown around left, right, and center, and nobody knew how to define it. Nobody knew how to like. We, people came up with ways of defining it and mm. writing it down, but no one really knew what it was. Yeah, and that's because it's 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 being um, perceived as something that's so hard to achieve. But if we say functionality, that's that can be either something that starts at grassroots level can start um or it can be something that can be at a very you know high functioning level yeah and so i I think that's quite a nice thing so if you're saying functionality at each stage if you if you achieve something you can celebrate it like yeah i don't think we i don't think we celebrate people enough yeah and i think functionality lets people define what it is for them and it gives them it gives them a starting point at least. I hope. I hope that's um because having like these wordy sentences and descriptions, um, like that one I just said from the Big Government Health website, it's it's great. Um but it is so individual. It's yeah. such an individual thing and people need to define what it is for them. That is true. So, do you think that um, COVID-19 will have a large mental health oh. impact, impact on the world? I have it get going on the COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just a yeah. gear change. <laughs> Gee whiz. Um, do I think it will have large mental health impacts on the world? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are already reports on the impacts. Um, coming out, I know uh, ABC News is doing did a thing last week, I think, all week on mental health, um, and uh, that was related to COVID as well. Um, but yeah, I think with with mental health, like when there's a recession, pandemic, what have you, the response to mental health can come after physical health. Yeah. So. It's 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 almost like mental health has a lag effect to it. Like it's like we're gonna see the mental health effects for a long time, um, you know, to come basically from this pan pandemic. And they're harder to define where they like a physical health or like like I mean, there's con- contact tracing. You can you can find out where you got COVID from, or like DHS can find out where you got COVID from. Um, but with depression and anxiety down the track, you can't define where you pick that up from, but you kind of know it's come from, from COVID. So, but I also think that a lot of people might not be, maybe if they haven't had mental health issues before, they, they won't know what to look for. Like you, you've got warning signs and, um, triggers and you know how to look after your mental health and you do mindfulness and, but what happens if somebody hasn't had that it hasn't yeah. researched that. Hasn't been looking after the, their mental health. Yeah, and yeah. it'll just sort of turn up, and they won't know how to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an incredible. Um, it can be an incredible shock when something like that does happen, and it was an incredible shock to me. Um, and it took me. Um, it took me some time to identify my triggers, and to actually um, start learning, gaining insight into my condition and how to manage it 
better. So yeah, it's almost like an initial shock mm-hmm. period of shock when you first get get hit with something like that. Um, but in saying that, there's so many great tools out there. There's so many great services, mental health services out there. Um, there's so much on recovery out there, and it's absolutely possible to recover from major mental illnesses like or functionality um, should we call it yeah yeah (laughs) functionality but i think going back to your question i think the the reports of mental health and stuff kind of always comes after the the physical health period so we're, we're we're going to be seeing the physical health impacts of covid for a while um and the mental health stuff is starting to come out now but yeah, it'll definitely, it, it's definitely impacting a lot of people on the mental health side. So I just have one final question. Yep. Not sure if uh, you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could, would you give it back? Um, bipolar disorder. Yes. <laughs> so if someone said, mental right. Illness. You don't need to have bipolar anymore. That's it. I can wave my magic wand and it'll be gone. Mm. Would you? Would you? Or would you keep it? Um, I've actually thought about this a lot. This <laughs> question over the years, um, and I keep there's there's times when short answer is no. Um, there's been many times when I've been suicidally depressed and in, in incredible. Um, struggle and um, being, yeah, wanting to give it back. Um, but in hindsight, um, it's given my life a lot of purpose. And um, and I think we've got to keep going. We've got to keep moving forward. We've got to, you know, like it's, I mean, we've got to forgive the past. Yeah. We've got to, I think that's the only way we can, like, we've got to, you know, forgive ourselves, forgive others, forgive the past, forgive what's happened to us. Like, um, there's a lot of injustice in this world. I, for years, I cried out to, I was praying and I was crying out to God or someone to hear me saying, why the hell is this happening to me? Um, and... I never got an answer, <laughs> but um, but the thing is, I've I've learned, I've come to the acceptance that I don't need an answer to keep moving forward. Yeah. I don't necessarily need an answer because um, you built up resilience. Yes, absolutely. At the very least, all of and I'm speaking to um, people who have mental health issues out there. At the very least, if it um, breeds resilience, so much resilience, and um, yeah, like I, I look at, I look at some of my clients at the moment. Um, I work for a, a um, mental health service currently, and um, look at some of my clients, and they're just so resilient when it comes to COVID, and they've just, just they're just taking it on the chin, and they're so it's just amazing to watch. It's great to watch, and um, although their lives have been full of struggle and suffering, they um, that resilience really shines in moments like these. 
I suppose uh, it's also good if you have a sense of humour as well. Absolutely. You've got, you got to keep a sense of humour. Laugh, otherwise you cry. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, and letting everybody know a bit about yourself and, you know, why you're doing the, um, your blog and things like that. Um, yeah. Thanks um, for interviewing me, uh, Bex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for listening guys to the recovery brand podcast uh, stay tuned for our next installment if you would like to get in touch or want some more information about this podcast or the recovery brand you can contact me at hello at the recoverybrand.com.au